In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Tomorrow we begin the fast of the Ninevites, or we call it Jonah's fast, to commemorate the fasting of the people of Nineveh after they were told by Jonah the prophet that God would destroy their city. And their response was repentance and fasting. And they fasted for three days, and we also fast for three days. We read actually when God called the Ninevites, or, or sorry, when God called Jonah the prophet, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai. And after reading the, the book, it's only four chapters, after reading the book, we, we might ask ourselves, why did God choose this man to be the one through whom he would send on this important mission to save this civilization of the Ninevites? Because from the very beginning of the story, Jonah is resisting and he is running away and he doesn't have a good attitude and he doesn't want the people to be saved and he doesn't want to go. Why would God choose Jonah? Because when we look at the story, we wonder, you know, Jonah is not, doesn't appear to us immediately to be of the same caliber as the other prophets who endured all kinds of hardship and difficulty and obedience and silence and accepting and went and did as God had commanded without complaint and received from the people whatever persecution they received and they completed their mission without any indication of resistance at all. But when you read in the book of Jonah, there's resistance everywhere, right? Why did God choose him? And how, what really can we learn from, from that principle of why is it that God chose him? The first reason that God chose him is that Jonah actually had the skills to do it. Maybe uh, we don't see that immediately. Maybe we don't see from the beginning this man who is running away from the mission that he actually had the skills to, um, to preach to these people for them to repent. Um, but actually we know that he simply went through the city and he proclaimed a very simple message, at least according to himself, of what he wrote down in his book. And from this simple message that God was going to um, destroy the city, all of the people repented. All of the people turned to God. Even the babies and the animals fasted in this fast of, of the Ninevites, and they showed a true repentance. So if God were to look around and see who are the prophets, who are the people who could have this type of effect, who are the people with the skills and the talents and the gifts that God had given them to go and actually preach, and that their preaching would be so powerful and convicting that the entire nation of people would turn to God and to believe in his words, certainly it was him. And we don't necessarily see this. We see a man who is running away, who doesn't want to fulfill the mission of God, but God knows inside of him that he has what it takes to fulfill this mission. We see other examples of this as well with other people whom God had called that didn't want to fulfill their mission and didn't believe that they had the skills necessary. One famous example is Moses. Um, St. Stephen says about Moses in Acts chapter 7, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Well, Moses didn't realize that he was, right? Because when God called Moses to serve, Moses said what to God? He said, well, I am not eloquent. Send somebody else other than me. I am not able to do what it is that you are calling me. And he kept arguing he didn't want to go, to go back to Egypt. And yet St. Stephen is saying about him that he was powerful, powerful in speech and action. Like God worked with him to turn this man who believed about himself that he was not eloquent, that he could not do the service. God used him to be powerful in speech. This tells us something about the types of servants that God uses. Very, very common that those people who believe themselves to be the greatest, to be the most equipped, to be the most capable, to have the skills necessary, and to be confident in, the, in themselves, 
those very often are the ones whom God does not choose. Those very often are the ones whom rely on themselves and do not have what it takes to actually fulfill the mission of God with all the hardships that are in it. But those people who believe about themselves that they are not able, that they are not capable, that they do not have the gift, those are the ones whom God chooses. Because God wants to emphasize that it is through His power and through His grace that they are able to accomplish the mission and not because of their own goodness, not because of their own strength. Even we see in the life of St. Paul, who was a very talented man, and yet God gave him a thorn in his side so that it is through this weakness that he is accomplishing all of the service that he is doing because we know then that it is the power of God working in him and not him alone. So just as God knew Moses and he knew that Moses could do the service even though Moses didn't realize it himself, so also he knew that Jonah could, could, could perform the service even though Jonah definitely did not feel like he could and he was capable of doing it. Second uh, characteristic of Jonah that we see, why is it that God would choose him, is because actually he was a very humble servant. And you ask, how do we find this humility in the story of Jonah? Okay, well, number one, we know that Jonah is the one who wrote his own story. Okay, so imagine you are writing a story about your own life, about your own career, about your own service, about whatever it is that's important events that have happened in your life. And every single detail, every th single thing that you mention in this story, highlights your failures, highlights your disobedience, highlights your inadequacies, highlights all of the mistakes that you made, both in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions. Because actually when you read in the book of Jonah, that's all we see of Jonah. All we see about him is his failure, right? But when you realize that he is the one who wrote this about himself, right? This is not somebody else writing this. Jonah wrote this about himself. You know, sometimes we are trying to, uh, you know, portray ourselves in the best light. Imagine how is it that we feel when we go to a job interview. When we go to a job interview, we are like, I want to say the absolute best that I can say about myself, and I want to cover and ignore <clears throat> any failures that I've had, anything that I've done wrong, anything that I have not been successful in. I just want to, I don't want to talk about those things. Instead, I want to talk about and even puff up and amplify the, the, the things that I have done well because I want to be accepted and I want to get the job, right, in the interview. Jonah did the opposite. You know, Jonah would be very bad at interviewing. You know, he would go there and they would ask him questions and he would highlight every failure that he's made and everything. This is who he was and this is what he wrote. He was not trying to hide his failures, his mistakes. He was being very open and honest and making it clear about this. He only spoke about his disobedience, okay? Also, the actual ministry, the actual work itself, when he actually went to Nineveh and preached, he summarized it in a very, very, very short, like very few words pretty much said I w went, went through the city and I preached and I said the city will be destroyed, right? That was it. He didn't embellish in any way on any good that he has done. He didn't go into detail about what exactly he has said or what is the powerful sermons that he gave or anything. He, he didn't mention that, right? Which is why, again, when you read the book, it seems so unbalanced. It seems like there is nothing good about this man. There's nothing good is there really nothing good? Or is it just that he never portrayed anything good? And even the good things he did, he kind of minimized it. Also, he spoke about when he was on the ship with the sailors, he, he was clearly and honest with the fact that he was indifferent, right? You know, I went down into the, you know, and down below in the ship and I fell asleep and I'm kind of indifferent to everything, right? He's openly, he's, he's, he's saying that. He was willing to be thrown overboard by the sailors, 
right? He said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. He was willing to be thrown into the sea for their salvation, for their sake, because he knew that God had sent this because of him. You know, who of us could be in a position like that? Where, where we, have made a, we have made a mistake, we have failed, and we are willing to suffer the consequences to the extreme, right? Not to try to find any way to save myself, just throw me into the sea, right? That's, that's, that's it. And then finally, he concluded the whole story in the, in the very end of the book with God's rebuke uh, about him. God's rebuke. He concluded with God's rebuke. And he didn't say anything about how he learned a lesson or how he responded positively, or how he changed his ways, or anything positive at all. He just ends it with rebuke, and that's the end of the book. It's a very abrupt ending, actually. So he didn't highlight any of his strengths. He spoke only about his weaknesses and failures. He was a very humble in that sense. He wasn't trying to impress anyone. He wasn't trying to portray himself in any good way. Also, he was very honest, right? He was very honest. When God had allowed a plant to grow, to provide shade for Jonah as he was sitting there waiting to see if the city of Nineveh would be destroyed or not. And Jonah was filled with contempt. Jonah did not want the people to be saved. And he was sitting there waiting for their destruction, hoping that they would be destroyed. And God allowed him to have this plant to grow, to provide him shade as he sat there in the heat of the day. And then God allowed a worm to come and to eat the plant. So Jonah became angry about, the, about that, the idea that the plant had died and it wasn't providing shade for him anymore. So God told him clear, plainly, he said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Are you angry? Is it right for you to be angry that the plant has been destroyed? And what is Jonah's response? It is right for me to be angry even to death. It is right for me to be angry even to death. You know, whenever we are being rebuked, you know, oftentimes even if we are not convinced of the rebuke, we are not convinced that the person who is telling me this is right. And we still have a sense of, of that we are righteous, that we are good, that we are right, that the, the rebuke that's against me is actually not true. Okay? But oftentimes, in order to get the conversation over with, or oftentimes just because we don't want to hear any more rebuke or any more words from this person, we just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what, what, as you say, as you say, you know, what you're saying is true. You know, I should have I acted differently, whatever. Especially when you're talking to God. You know, this isn't, this isn't just talking to anybody, right? Just talking to God. How much do we do this when we're talking to our boss, right? Like our boss comes and he rebukes us for something, and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, next time, you know, I won't do that again, and so on. But in our hearts, what are we feeling? We're feeling anger, and we're feeling um, rebellion, and we're feeling that justification for what is it that I have done, while on the outside we are pretend, pretending to be humble and we're pretending to be accepting of correction. We're pretending. Jonah did not do this. You know, Jonah, Jonah was so um, open. I mean, even though he had a wrong attitude for sure, right? Saying this to God and, and not accepting this rebuke. But his response was honest. He was honest. And even though when we look at it and this honesty seems almost blasphemous, and yet this honesty is what, is, is what allows for um, repentance. Honesty. When we are really honest with ourselves, then repentance is not far off because even though it looks clear here like jonah is like in a in a in a you know in a very extreme status of rebellion against god he is actually better off here than than when we are pretending that everything is fine and i'm accepting the rebuke and all this when in fact inside of my heart i'm rejecting it outright because 
because at least here now he gives God an opportunity to teach him. Now that he knows, now that, that this was his response, God then responds and he explains why is it that he allowed the plant to grow and the plant to die. And he gives Jonah a lesson, right? We spend a lot of time hiding who we are and trying to make ourselves look better than what we really are, right? Jonah did not do this. And, it, and he didn't, as I said before, he didn't try to put any positive spin on his mission, right? He didn't simply omit certain details that he didn't have to mention to make himself look better. He spoke from completely from his heart and he laid everything out there, right? He's one of these people that has no filter, right? I'm going to, whatever is in my heart, I'm going to say it. And whatever I say, I'm going to tell it. I'm going to be open and honest about it. I'm going to tell it, put it all on the table like it is, okay? Good and bad, okay? Jonah was a very honest servant. <clears throat> also, we see one of the other things that happened is God turned every single mistake that Jonah made into salvation, okay? We, we read in Jonah chapter 2 when, when Jonah is in the fish, right, in, in, the, in the fish, and he's praying. Jonah says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Every mistake that Jonah made in this story, God turned it into salvation, right? In response uh, to this, to Jonah's sacrifice of being thrown overboard, okay, it says, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Like when Jonah allowed himself to be thrown overboard, this caused the sailors on the ship to believe in God and to offer sacrifice to him. Just because this man accepted this, that they saw that it was the God of Jonah who was the one who sent this storm, and that when they threw him into the sea, the storm ceased, right? And Jonah consented and allowed this to happen. This brought salvation to these sailors, simply by Jonah allowing himself to be thrown overboard, right? These sailors were not in the picture. They were, this was not, God never told him to go and preach to these sailors or that these sailors should you know, anything about the sailors. The sailors were just simply a means of transport, okay? But God turned even Jonah's uh, indifference and Jonah's rebellion into salvation for the others, okay? Similar thing happened in the story of Samson. When Samson went and he married a Philistine woman, which was against God's command, and it was a source of, um, of pain for his parents, it says in, in Judges 14, verse 4. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. Like God was going to use this situation of him marrying a Philistine woman, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. So in this case also, God used the, the mistake, the wrong decision, the sin of someone, but he turned it into salvation. He turned it into something good. So we learn from this that God can even take our failures and turn it into salvation. Turn it into salvation for us, turn it into salvation for others because this is the God whom we worship and this is how good he is and this is how much he wants the salvation of the world that he takes even our failures and turns it into salvation. By the end of the story, Jonah had done very little right. You know, The whole story is highlighting all the wrong things that he had done. But he himself had learned the lesson even though he didn't record it. But we know that he did because of how he recorded his life, how he recorded his accomplishments. We know that he understood his own actions were wrong. So Jonah had salvation. The sailors had salvation. The Ninevites had salvation. Every single person in this story, by the end of the story, had salvation. And yet Jonah did nothing right. Okay? The only thing he did right was that he was open and honest and humble. Okay? But 
in the story he wasn't. He, he was later on, maybe in his life, when he was writing the story. Um, another example is where Joseph's brothers, Joseph the righteous, his brothers were envious of him, and they threw him into a pit, and they wanted to kill him and ended up selling him into slavery. And while they did all of this, their intentions were evil. Their intentions were to destroy him. And yet, what did God do in the end? He raised up Joseph to be a ruler in Egypt, who was the one who was managing all of the food in order to save the entire world from famine, including the brothers, including his own brothers. Actually, his own brothers had a very special place for them to live in Egypt when they came to Egypt, and they, their whole family flourished there. So it was through what? It was through the sin of the brothers of delivering him up to be a slave to the Egyptians that the brothers themselves were saved, that God used this for their own salvation. Again, this says something about God, that even our mistakes, even our failures, God wants to turn into good, right? And this is what God did with Jonah. Finally, God helped Jonah to realize his own problem through all of these experiences, right? Um, a person who is chosen to serve God is not already perfected. A person who is chosen to serve God is not already you know, complete in all of their knowledge and their experience and their understanding. A person who is chosen to serve God can be very lacking in a lot of ways. The mentality of I will wait until I'm ready is a wrong mentality. The mentality should be I will become ready through my service. When I begin to serve God, if God calls me to a service, when I begin to serve God, I will learn on the job. I will learn in the service itself. We are never going to become ready to serve, the, to serve the Lord simply by sitting on the side and watching and waiting for us to be somehow trained enough to serve the Lord. But, we serve, but when we serve, it's like the service itself is our teacher, like it teaches us. What was Jonah's ultimate problem? Jonah's problem was that he could not love God's people. He didn't know how to love people. He had a certain group of people that he loved, right? The Israelites, those were his people. He didn't know how to love anyone else. And especially those who were considered to be the enemies of Israel, he did not love them, and he did not want to have the reputation of being the prophet who was sent to the enemies of Israel to save them. Because then when he goes back to Israel, the Israelites will be like, why did you go and save our enemies? You know, you can think of it from this perspective. You know, all of the prophets, they were sent to the Israelites, right? The prophets were all sent to the Israelites. The prophets were all, they received the word of God. <clears throat> they communicated to the Israelites a message of repentance, right? And that was their job, right? In Jonah's case, it was not. In Jonah's case, God told him to go to the enemies of Israel, and Jonah had absolutely no love for them and no desire for their repentance and no desire for their salvation, Okay. That was one of the problems. <clears throat> he also had a problem with obedience and trusting in his own judgment. He didn't want to trust that wherever God told him to go was good. Instead, he used his own thinking and he said, you know, this doesn't make any sense to me, so I will reject it. I will not do it. I will not follow through with it, right? But God, through this mission, through calling of Jonah, he helped him with all of these problems, okay? He, he chose Jonah knowing that he would rebel and yet God arranged a very creative way to take him from the place he was traveling to back to the mission field where he was actually called to be, okay? And God showed him how much he would work through his preaching for the salvation of those people, right? So God, in a sense, broke him. He, he made him realize 
you, you are not free to, to, to run away, right? I will, I, when I have chosen you, I have chosen you. You are chosen now. You will go, and I'm doing this, like he didn't do this um, in spite of Jonah, to anger Jonah, out of, out of hatred toward Jonah, out of condemnation of Jonah. He did it as a person who was actually being served. Even though Jonah was the preacher and Jonah was the prophet, Jonah actually benefited from this whole experience just as much as the Ninevites because by the end, he understood something. When God gave him this analogy of the plant and he allowed the plant to grow and to give him shade and then to be destroyed again, what was, what was God's message to Jonah? His message is you are so upset about a plant that grows in a day and dies in a day, how much more do I care about the Ninevites, right, who is this huge nation of people, right? He was trying to give Jonah a message. He's saying, you care about something so small, how much more should you care about a whole nation, right, as God cares about them? In Isaiah 55, verse 9, it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the way of God. Also, in conclusion, in Romans 11.33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past, past finding out. If we were to actually, you know, try to find a, a prophet and say who is the prophet we would choose, who is the one with the experience, who is the one with the attitude, who is the one with the obedience, who is the one that according to the mind of man we would choose to be the prophet, we would not have chosen Jonah at all. We would have passed him up. We'd have chosen someone else, like Isaiah. You know, we would have chosen someone else, like Ezekiel, Daniel. These are people with impeccable resumes. These are people who are doing everything right as they should be done. We would not have chosen Jonah. But God knows the hearts, and God knows Jonah's potential, and God knows what Jonah is lacking and what he needs, and that he will learn all of this from the service itself. And so God chose Jonah, and this is his unsearchable wisdom and unsearchable judgments of God. So we look at this story, and we say God teaches us an important lesson about the service. He teaches us an important lesson about how does God see. He sees differently than man sees. When we look around us in the world, we find there to be a lot of wickedness. We find there to be a lot of people living in darkness. We find there to be a lot of people living in sin. And yet when God looks, he doesn't just see people to be avoided. He sees people with potential. When God like, uh, healed Mary Magdalene, who had, was, was demon-possessed, a person who was a harlot, what, did, what would anyone say about this woman in that state? He would say, this woman is not fit for the service of God. This woman is not fit to even touch the Lord or to be near him or to speak with him. And that's what the Pharisees at the time said and believed about people who were thieves and harlots and tax collectors. But when the Lord looked at her, he saw something different. He saw a woman with potential. He saw a woman who is currently living in sin, but that's not how he categorized her. He saw her as someone who could be healed, someone who could change, someone who could be a preacher, someone who could be someone who spreads the word of God to people, right? And not just to keep it to herself. It is difficult for us as human beings to see this potential in people. But God is calling us, when he calls us to evangelize to the world, he is calling us not to judge. He's saying, don't judge whether you think a specific person could ever be orthodox or not. Don't judge whether you think a specific person would ever consent to baptism. Don't judge whether you think a person is good or bad. Just spread the seed, spread the word, and let the word of God have its effect, and let the grace of God have its effect. 
Many of the people who are the greatest saints in the church are those that we would have never imagined or believed, like St. Moses the Strong, that we would have never looked at this man before and said he will be a great saint and a teacher of, of, of monks. We never believed or thought this. But God knows. God knows. So we learn this important lesson about the characteristics of Jonah and why God chose him. May God also choose us to perform our services and our, to, to fulfill our calling that God calls us for with obedience and humility and honesty and to realize that it is the work of God in us and not we ourselves who bring success and glory be to God forever. Amen.